All I know is that I don't love anything in the world as much as some of these people hate Barney. I can't believe it's not about you, guy. It's just let people Bruh. like what they like, you know what I mean? Also, there it's for toddlers. I know. It, it's not for you. <laughs> Hi, Jillian Benzavalli. Hello, Patrick Hines. Fam, Boston fam, look, we're coming to town on June 2nd. We're like two and a half weeks away or something. you were going to say, we're like Santa. We're coming to town. (laughs) Come see us. Opening night. The tickets are almost gone. I can't. I'm giving away a copy of my book that night. Like, (gasps) I have a galley copy. I'm giving it away to a lucky winner in the audience. And you're going to get to, like, go home with my book. I'll sign it just for you. And you'll get to read the whole thing before anybody else. It is so real. I am so beyond. You're looking at it right now. I can't believe. Wait, hear that? (laughs) Also, fam, I'm doing my book party as a charity event for the theater where I grew up doing theater. It's happening Saturday, May 20th. If you're hearing this the day this comes out, it's like two days from now. Yeah. (laughs) Or like four or five, whatever it is. Yeah. It's Saturday, May 20th at the Harvard Street Theater slash Cape Cod Theater Company. I think there's only like eight or ten tickets left. Oh, come on. So just go to PatrickPhils.com to get your tickets. Okay, great. What are we talking about? We're talking about, it's on Peacock. It's called I Love You, You Hate Me. It's a two-parter, but we're doing it in one because there's a lot of fluff. Yeah. This is Barney, and this is what he sounded like. Barney stands for inclusion, acceptance. You should love everyone. We all have Cheryl Leach to thank for that. As her love character was heading into the stratosphere, people couldn't accept that this was just a show. And and so let the bashing begin. Some of the rumors that I heard, Barney hides drugs in his tail. They were violent and explicit. Death and dismemberment of my family. I love you, Barney. They were going to come and find me, and they were going to kill me. Just the dark side of this whole moment. That must have devastated Cheryl. There was something larger going on here. I don't think you could ever think somebody would go and shoot someone. So, look, all I gotta say is, like, I know that we usually skip the coming ups ons yeah. or whatever it is, like Attorneys General. Sure. I <laughs> I just, like, they are shooting Barney with guns. They're setting him on fire. It's, They're chopping him with an axe. What is happening? It go. It's very weird. It's very odd about, it's just, there's a lot of hate for something that has nothing to do with these people who hate Barney so much. You know, and the thing about, well, we'll get there in a second. Right. First, we gotta deal with the song, which I, as a non-two-year-old, will agree it's kind of annoying we meet Bob Singleton the music director of Barney yeah. and he's like we get this round robin of everyone being like will you sing this song and most people won't do it well the, look the, <laughs> the production crew's here to have a good time okay because they're very present and they're asking yep. people questions that they know they'll get a good reaction yes. from so and people are like absolutely not but some people are like I, I love, love you. you they go right you into it me. we're a happy family that's all I know with a great big hug and a kiss from me to you won't you say you love me too but bob singleton they ask him they're like do you want to play this and he plays it a little bit and they're like how does it feel to play it and he goes oh on this piano it's like death why did you and i'm like bob why why are you coming in all hot I don't know. The thing about Bob is that Bob is like the voice of reason here because 
I didn't fully think of this until Bob said it. Yeah. But like, like you've been saying, Barney is not for grownups. There are a lot of cartoons, even cartoons that Daisy watches now, that are like for kids, but they have like grown-up themes that go over the kids' or heads. Or they have little winks to the yes, adults. Barney was decidedly not that. They say it was meant to be repetitive. Yeah. And bright because that's what feels comforting for little kids. And also music, like repetitive music is what kids like and respond to. And yes. then they see this like overly, impossibly <laughs> nice purple dinosaur. They're going to gravitate to it. And you know what? It keeps them busy for a little bit. I don't know why we just can't be happy that the kid isn't burning down the house. I know. And, and just start watching Barney instead. Why can't we just be happy? That I don't understand. You know what it is? I honestly feel like everybody who's complaining about it doesn't have kids. So, like, yeah. I understand that, you, like, people don't like that. Don't let me in with that. <laughs> did you see that I, I averted my eyes? I because did not look. I fully support two-year-olds who are going to grow out of yes. this phase in six months if you just hang tight. But it's also fine to be annoyed by things sure. and just acknowledge that, like, it's not for me. It's literally not made for you. It's literally not it's made for you. made for, but there is one parent who's jealous of Barney, which we'll get to in a minute because I can't stand percent. that piece Can we of talk shit. about something that was made for me? What? His name is Andrew Olsen. <laughs> he's the Barney the, super fan? He's like the cutie Barney twink who runs the Barney history fans website. He has a room full of Barneys, not unlike the Snoopy rooms <laughs> that we've seen in both the Price is Right and the Casey Kasem story. I know. I'm like, Andrew, you are very attractive. That's all. Yeah, and Andrew is speaking right to you. He's <laughs> saying, you know, there are a lot of misconceptions <laughs> around the Barney fandom. We're all weird. We're all freaks. And I think that's just, you know, a stereotype. We all grew up watching Barney. And there's no problem with letting him be your friend through life. You must be weird to have an emotional connection to something that you loved as a child. But like, here's, everyone, relax. Here's the thing. Even, like, I was watching this with Steve today. And he goes, wait, that guy runs, like, a fan website for Barney? And I right. go, yeah. And Steve goes, okay. The thing about it is, like, it's one thing to, like, do I love the Indigo Girls? Yes. Do I have a room full of dolls of the Indigo Girls? No. Like, there is something about it. There is just a point where live your life, you do you, have have all the happiness you want. But if I come into your house and you've got an entire room full of stuffed Barney dolls and you're 25 like Andrew, it is going to raise an eyebrow. Yeah, like, you can have— A gay, judgmental (laughs) eyebrow. You can have— I was born with them, Jillian. Right. Ah, Barney. Right. One or two, two tree Barneys, but the whole room. But it's also like, is that's not hurting anybody, is it? No, it's not. And you know what? If you don't have a head in the fridge, I guess it's fine. You know what I mean? You know? Like, wouldn't you prefer that to a head in the fridge? You have, like, the good Barney on one shoulder and the bad Barney on the other. (laughs) We've done enough of these documentaries now to know the producer feeds you lines to get you to the next sex. And the producer was probably like, would you mind sitting in front of all these Barneys we have? Do you know what I mean? No, that was definitely Andrew's bedroom. It was much more like Andrew was like, can, is it time for me to take you to my room full of Barneys now? Can but I have is it time now? You know Can what? I take you to my room full of Barneys Godspeed, now? Godspeed, Andrew. Until we find a head in your fridge, God bless. Merry Christmas. Do what you got to do. It doesn't hurt anybody. <laughs> we learn about Cheryl Leach, who is not here for the interview. No, she's from Allen, Texas. But most importantly, she's the creator of Barney. Yeah, it takes them too long to tell us that she's not dead. I, <laughs> you know what I mean? thought she was dead. Because me, like this documentary does this thing where they will very every now and then they'll transition to like real dark, scary music. Yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, is she's not here? She created Barney. Barney is incredibly successful. And everyone's talking about how nice and sweet and smart she uh-huh. was. And Somebody I'm like, starts to cry. I was at one like, point. what happened to Cheryl? I, it was like where I almost googled, but I was like, I need to be surprised. Now we meet Shelly, who's yes. a high school <laughs> classmate. I went to high school with Cheryl Leach. I'm from a Christian background, and we kept the same moral code. Cheryl had just a wild, crazy sense of humor. 
That's what drew me to her, I guess. Loves that they were good Christian girls. Now, here's a note. It's nothing against Shelley. Yeah, it's sure. just a general question for documentaries and filmmakers. Yeah. It's always interesting to me when the people that they talk to are like classmate, but not best friend. Yeah, yeah, It's like, so like, or the babysitter or something. So it's like, Cheryl's best friend won't talk to the camera, but Shelly from third period bio will. (laughs) And I'm just curious what that means. And we learn at the end why Cheryl does not want to be involved in this. And it's totally understandable. I want a note to filmmakers also. I am available to talk about like Ben from third period biology. That's what I'm saying. 100%. If you're Cheryl and you're like, fuck, who, fuck (gasps) Shelly? Or, or like, who's Shelly? <laughs> like, who is Shelly? Yeah, because even Shelly never gives us, like, we stayed really close. Yeah. We were in each other's weddings. Remember when we just covered, like, oh, from the Bugs Bunny defense, like, we worked at the same place. Not Shooting. we worked together. <laughs> we worked at the same place. So, yeah. and I'm sure Shelly and Cheryl, I'm sure they got along just, I don't, I'm not, it, this isn't against anybody no. personally. It's just interesting when it's like, no, not like we've been best friends for 35 yeah. years. It's just like the classmate they haven't seen in 30, I'm you know. just, I want to put all my classmates on notice. I will sit for the documentary if they call me. But you know what? They'll sit for yours. I know. But you know you what? Have to I got no I got no skeletons, girl. Yeah, I don't either. I mean, I was like pretty bullied and I don't think anyone would want to talk about me at all so I think I'm in the clear yeah I think we're I, I think, think we're both fine I think I'm safe but Cheryl taught school for seven years before accepting a job with a, a company called developmental learning materials yeah it was a family-run business run by the leach family it was during this time that she ran into Jim leach Jim and Cheryl dated and uh, they eventually got married. And the company was run by the Leach family, which is how she meets her husband, Jim. And in 1986, Cheryl's son, Patrick, was born. Yeah, we get, like, a bit about how, like, Patrick was, like, a rambunctious, precocious kid. Yeah. As, like, very, a bit of foreshadowing. Right, and they say a very active two-year-old, and I'm like, are they not all active? I, but this is the whole thing. Like, like, this is the part of the documentary that I don't like, because, like, some shit goes down with Patrick in yeah. the end, and it's, like, the big cliffhanger that we don't get to, like, the last eight minutes. Yeah. And it's bad, but it's also just, like, just tell us. You know right. what I mean? Like, don't take, like, what? And also, like, aren't all kids active? I'm going to exactly. ask you that again. So then, like, back then, in yes. 1986, there wasn't a lot of content for two- and three-year-olds. Like, yes. there's content for everybody now. There was, like, Nick Jr., PBS, and then, like, Saturday morning cartoons, but those were usually for the kids who were a little older. I was just going to say, all of this content was for, like, five, six, seven, eight-year-olds. Yeah. You know what I mean? There was nothing really for two, three-year-olds. Yeah, but what is the age of Sesame Street? Because I loved watching Sesame, Sesame Street. Sesame Street is, like, I mean, Daisy would watch it when she was two. Like, once they're verbal, I guess Sesame Street is, is right. good for them. But it's not just for them. Yeah. Like, if you're two, you can watch Sesame Street. If you're six, you can watch Sesame Street. If you're 35, you can watch right. Sesame Street. Yeah. It's well, like, universal. Sesame Street is also, like, ongoing storylines, and it's a little, like, yeah. there are, yeah. There, I think the point that they're saying is that, like, when Barney came along, it was because Cheryl was home with her, like, super active two-year-old, because right. all two-year-olds are super active, like, and she just wanted something that would, like, hold his attention, right. meaning... She didn't want variety. She wanted one thing right. in a room with a song that repeats over and over and again. something meant for the two-year-old. Exactly. Not like something that a two-year-old can also watch. Exactly. Totally different exactly. things, right? You know, she has, this, like, her husband's company, I guess they're also, like, they have a production arm or whatever. Right. So she, like, goes to her father-in-law and she's like, I have this idea for this, like, dinosaur thing I want to do for kids. And he's like, gold mine, let's do it. Yeah. And so Cheryl's on Phil Donahue basically saying, I figured how hard could it be? You ding-dongs made that other thing. Like, why can't I make this show? And I was literally like, is she a podcaster? Because, like, that's literally our story. Her whole vibe yeah. is very much like, I'm going to make this thing. I'm going to dive in the deep end, tread water, figure
figure it out. I love I Me love too. Cheryl's motivation for doing this. I love how she did it. Yeah. I, I gotta also say in all the archival videos, she also has a very strong Julia Sugarbaker vibe. Who's that? Julia Sugarbaker from Designing Women. Oh, okay, of course. Yeah. How the can nights, I forget? Yeah. The lights went out oh. in Georgia. Yeah. She, that's that monologue, that famous and that monologue. Me, and that Marjorie. Yeah. Just so that you will know right. and your children will someday know was the, the night, night the lights went, went out in Georgia. Georgia. <laughs> Slow clap. Do you know it's the only, you know how like RuPaul's Drag Race does the lip sync for your life? Yes. They actually did that monologue. Phenomenal. It's the only monologue Phenomenal. they've ever done in the history of the like, show. Like even I know that. That's super famous. I know. <laughs> but no, I think she is very much a podcaster. Like, True Crime Obsessed, we didn't know what the hell we were doing. No, yeah. The first yeah. few episodes of the Hamilcast were recorded using the microphone attached to an old camcorder. Yes. So Cheryl is very, like, she's just making the thing. I love it. She's making I love the it. thing. I support it 100%. So Pat Reader yes. is the original head writer. Yes. And he tells us, he was a comedy writer. This guy's story is crazy. My lifelong dream had been to write for David Letterman. But uh, both of my parents developed cancer and I had to come back to Texas so I had to find uh, other ways to write comedy and did from here. Dick Leach called me into his office and he had the treatments that Cheryl had given him. He said, uh, take these and make something filmable. And he's like, I just had to learn how to write comedy from there. And that was another thing where like, life happens, you figure it out. Yes. Both of your parents got sick. You're not going to give up the dream. You're still going to try to be a writer wherever you are. I was just like, I was feeling very like motivated and, and inspired by yeah. these people. Just I was like the laughing thing. at him because he like, the, of course, like the guy who wants to write for Letterman ends up writing for Barney. I know. For like a week. <laughs> totally. So again, like almost everything that's ever been made, the original idea was very different from what we know as Barney today. Barney was originally a teddy bear. Oh, well, he was first, he was a clown doll and they scrapped that right away. So, But then she says the dinosaur exhibit comes to Dallas and Patrick, her son, loves dinosaurs. So he's like, let's make him a dinosaur. But then Bill Nye is here for absolutely no good reason. And for like 30 seconds here I and then know. 30 seconds in the next one like, and that's it. Bill, what are you doing Al here? Al Roker's here for a cool maybe 22 <laughs> seconds and that's it. It's so weird. But Bill Nye is here to tell us that like, well, dinosaurs are fucking terrifying though. Right. They're, they're fucking cool. They're they as cool are as they're cool. terrifying. Well, I was thinking about how like, it, there's a show that Daisy was obsessed with for a minute called Dino Trucks. Okay, what's that? Which is, it's a combination of the two things kids are obsessed with, dinosaurs and trucks. Great. And it's literally, it's like Transformers, except they're dinosaurs that are also trucks. It's called Dino Trucks? It's called Dino Trucks. So I'm just thinking, like, people can sell anything to kids. You know yeah. what I mean? Yeah. And so, but they're just saying that, like, in order to sell this Barney to two-year-olds, they had to make it, like, a squishy's Fuzzy, no sharp cuddly. teeth, no lots sh- of round edges, yeah. no talons, no spikes. No. And I'm like, justice for the stegosaurus, please, I, with all I of those know. plates. I know, I so, know. Pat Reader, according to Pat, I know this reference, but I don't know the character, yeah. like what they're like. Pat Reader, the comedy writer, his, he has the perfect inspiration for the soft, friendly dinosaur. I was envisioning Barney, really inspired by the character, you want to hang on to your hat for this, uh, of Bruce Willis in Moonlighting. Kind of a fun, wisecracking kind of guy. Whoops. Who lit up the room. I like to look at naked women. You know what they say, the bigger the cushion, the Stop it! Is there a more boomery fucking reference he could have come up with? Even I don't know Moonlighting. I know. Yeah, I, I was like, okay, I know Bruce Willis. I know that that was a show. But like, yeah. he says the reference like we should know. Well, and I think because we see a clip, I think he wants him to be like a smarmy sort of like yeah. wisecracking. And that's the 
opposite of what Cheryl wants. Yeah, and that's like, that's a me thing, because I don't know. I mean, Pat was like, that was my inspiration. What do you want? (laughs) So, Pat, you're fine. Um, (laughs) You're fine, except you're also fired. You're fine. You you were fired before you even got the job. But they're so nice about it, or trying to be nice about it, which I'm sure if Pat didn't think it was nice. But they wrote him a letter, and they said, we've decided (laughs) that you you have a creative spirit that cannot be contained. And Pat's like, yeah, you don't want your head writer to be too creative. I I got the message. I'm out the door. So Pat's out and Kathy Parker is in because she's Cheryl's friend and a fellow educator. Yeah. Also, you know who else is here? Who? Steve from Blue's Clues. Yeah. Were you a Blue's Clues kid? Because I know Steve is a thing, but I don't know anything about it. I was not a Blue's Clues kid, but I'm like a human on this earth and yes. I think Blue is adorable. Yeah. I love her. What is that? I don't even know what that is. <laughs> Blue is adorable. She's this little puppy. And then I think you help her like find things. And Steve is like your host. And he's like very wholesome and very accessible and very kind. And he didn't go on to do like sex tapes and stuff. No. Okay. (laughs) That's why he says later, he's like, sometimes those rumors are hurtful. Sometimes people say things about you on the internet and sometimes it's hurtful. Anyway, Blue is adorable. Now we're just meeting more of these cast of characters. We're in LA. We meet Bob West. Can I tell you Bob is here? He's real tense. I'm just tensing up here. I'm Bob West, and I was the original voice of Barney from 1988 to about 2000. Growing up, I was a weird kid. I was a really weird kid. Just a total, outright nerd. He's got to do mouth exercises to loosen up. He for really, the- he wants to do it right. Because he knows they're going to say, can you do the Barney voice? And if he's, he can't, he's yeah. got to do, he's got to nail it. He's a profesh. But Bob, I like, he was like a self-described weird kid. He's like, yeah. I was just a total 100% outright nerd. Yes. I'm like, I, all these people are just like exactly who they are. I'm into it. No, uh, me too. You know, and they loved him, but like they wanted him, <laughs> they wanted him to do the gig, but they had already started to build the costume. So they realized they were going to have to hire a different guy for the body than they did for the voice. Right. Now, now, just we can't skate right by this. Are you doing the Chuck E. Cheese thing? Well, yeah, because he works for <laughs> okay. Chuck E. Cheese, Charles Entertainment Cheese. Big break. Yeah, Charles now, Entertainment Cheese. I have to say, John Oliver just did like a fascinating piece on Chuck E. Cheese mm. focusing on the entertainment. And like he was Jasper and Pasquale, this yes. guy. And you just watch it. It's like 30 minutes. It's worth every second of it. John Oliver like really dissects why these characters are there. It's fucking wild. The wow. story of Chuck E. Cheese is like more bananas than you can imagine. I can, where's that documentary? John Oliver did it for 30 minutes. Oh my God, that's what we should do for the the page. I know. It's crazy. Crazy. Wow. It's crazy. But anyway, he was there. Uh, but Pasquale is literally like, that's a spicy amitabola. <laughs> like, that's I'm like, I should be offended, but I don't care. No. Charles Entertainment Cheese. So now we meet David the Mime, who, <laughs> first of all, he's also so cute. He was the body. Yes, of Barney. And so he does, did you catch it? He's like, when I did my audition, I did it. As, As a, a mime. mime. He, like, he was does the part move. of a fucking mime troupe. He gets, he goes to his audition for Barney as the mime. And they're like, they love him. He gets the gig right away. Right. So then we meet a lot of these child actors who were yes. on the, because it was like Barney and a bunch of like sweet little kids who Which went like, on adventures. I didn't realize it was the same kids every week. It's kind of like a little Mickey Mouse club or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, great. Good for them. <laughs> but they were all like young kids. I guess six, seven, eight, nine years old. Yes. Right? Am I wrong? Yeah, no, that's, that's right. And like, you know, 
we're learning that it's a, like a very low budget production. One of them, Ricky Carter goes, do you know how many girls I got? Oh my God. And I'm I, like, you were eight. I, that's the, I have the exact same Were you note. not like eight years old? I, do you know how many girls I got for being like the kid from Barney? Are you, what? Like, are you making a joke and I'm missing <laughs> it? <laughs> so everyone kind of like worked together. Everyone was new at this. They were all just trying to make like a sweet, wholesome thing for the two-year-old kids. And you it's know? cool because they're doing it like in like Cheryl's backyard in Texas. It's right. like not Hollywood. It's like not high stakes, right. you know? But the first tape comes out in 1988. The problem was there's really no marketing budget. In the early days, we didn't have enough money to uh, make the videos and spend money on marketing. So we decided to hire a group of our neighborhood mom friends. And we called those moms the mom blitzers. They enlist the local moms to be what they called the mom blitzers. Yeah, and they're calling other moms. They're calling the daycare, the preschool. They're just like selling the tapes themselves. And I'm sure, again, not a mother, but I can imagine that you see, like, it's like the holy grail. It's like, well, wait, there's a video that's super wholesome that I don't have to worry about. And it's just for And you vetted it and you know that I can, like, trust my kids to watch this over and over and over again and maybe I can have a moment's peace. Uh Are you kidding me? (laughs) I know. And it really works. And it works so well that we then meet Sloan. She had a two-year-old. She had a two-year-old loved Barney. She decides she wants to do a Barney birthday party. So for some reason, she... She goes, I want to market this thing because it's the best thing I've ever seen. And I'm like, these moms... They're so into it. These parents need just a minute and a half to themselves. You know what, though? They're all so incredible because Sloan calls Cheryl. Cheryl calls her back and she basically makes her the VP of fucking live events for her company in two minutes. Because Sloan's like, you're a genius. You made this thing that worked for my son. Now it's amazing. I want to have theme parties. Like, what can I do? How can I help make this thing big and help other parents? These two women, Cheryl and Sloan, who don't necessarily have like business acumen, are all of a sudden like, at the head of this like fucking multi-million dollar company. Right. It's just like you hit on a thing that works yeah. and you're just like riding it. I talk about this with us in TCO. Like Aww. we just, we were there. We like, yeah. we were ready for it when it happened. Yeah. And like, here we are, you we know? Were, we were psyched. Yeah. I still am psyched. Same. But I love that Sloan is like, I was employee number six. Which is We get that sometimes. The, the Beanie Baby one. Remember we yes. got all those, like they all knew their employee but numbers. But it's very, she was like so excited to be a part of this yeah. thing that this was This growing good, thing. Yeah. You're in on the ground floor. You get to do your favorite thing. You know Sloan loves to plan a fucking party. And she believed in it. Totally. That's the thing. Like, it she helped her. It. it can help other parents. Like, yeah. great. Let's fucking 100%. go. 100%. So they have this live event. It's their first live event ever. It's scheduled for November 19th, 1990 at the Majestic Theater in Dallas, Texas. It's sold out. It's yes. going to be amazing. Unfortunately. <laughs> There's a huge issue because they had to recast Barney. So what happened was um, I got a calling to join the military. Dave the Mime has joined the military. He got a calling. I was just like, wait a second. Dave the Mime is following his fucking calling from within his soul to go right. join the military. And like, look, my sister's in the military. She's brothers in the military. I, I get know, that it's that's a calling. Great. But it's like, how do you go from mime to military? I want that autobiography. I just wonder if someone was like first miming and now Barney. I know. Someone in his life was discouraging yeah. Yeah, this yeah, yeah. line of work, which sometimes happened because then like, it's the day of the show, y'all. I know. And he bails. But you know what? He doesn't regret it. Like he loved being in the military. I think it. he really, like it, I, you just don't often see that transition from mime to military. Like the day of. The day of the show. Can you wait till tomorrow? 
I know. A little bit of notice. Well, we couldn't wait till tomorrow because now we've got to meet <sighs> David Joyner. I hate this guy. I hate this guy too. I... I'm so glad you are on board with that. Did you think I'd be on board I with this know. fucking creeper? So he basically, like, the producer says to David, every single person that we've asked to be in this documentary is like, uh, are you talking to David Joyner? And they're like, do you have any idea why people would be nervous to know we're talking to you? Now, at first, I'm like, oh, here's the guy who shakes things up. Like, this right. is going to be a yeah, cool, yeah, yeah. like, I was the Auntie Barney. I was the bad boy. I don't know what it was. But at first, <laughs> right. I didn't think it was going to be what it, what no. it turned into. Yeah. So the thing about this guy is that he... Well, there's a headline from a newspaper from 2018. The article is about how he runs what David calls this tantric sex business, but it's not what it is. No. And the headline reads, the guy who played Barney, the dinosaur, now runs a tantric sex business. Now we get to... We'll get back to that in a second. But yeah. we get two seconds of Sloan, who's yeah. like... When I heard something about this, what's it? I, I can't remember what it's called again. Tantra. Tantra? Yeah. Okay. I don't even know what it's all about, to be honest with you. Don't care to know about it after what I've kind of heard about it. Sloan talks about not knowing anything about it so much that I think she might know a little bit about it. And I think that's okay. <laughs> the lady doth protest too much. And I think it's yes, okay. Absolutely. Because, you know, this tantric energy healing, that's all fine. That's not what David is doing. Yeah. David, this article was about how he's having real, actual sex with clients. Clients who are only women. Yes. He, and, oh, and women, because I did some fucking digging. Oh, you did? It's all about how this fucking man yeah. is going to come and teach you how to be a goddess. Only he can heal you. Only he can make you find your eroticism and all this shit but only if you can pass David's test like he has like a like his hotness test he has a zoom with <gasps> you and a FaceTime and whatever and he gets to decide if you're ready <gasps> for the tantric sex healing no yes so that is some Keith Raniere shit and it's all about like what he considers a woman what he considers like if he wants to have sex with you then you need the healing and take the class because it says like some people aren't ready <gasps> and I'm the one who makes that decision oh my god oh, yeah. and he doesn't wear condoms because it quotes blocks the energy. No! It's such no! it's such fucking bullshit. Some man is gonna sell sex and, and like he can fucking heal me. I don't need this man to come in and tell me how to be a goddess. I'm doing just fine. Oh my fuck you. God. And he, he wants to talk about it. And he, he wants to try, he charges a fee. I know. I know. This I know. is not a business. I know, I know, no, no. And you know, like not. we sometimes we go around and I, I always say that like our job is great, but it's a job you have to explain. Yeah. If I was an accountant, <laughs> people would understand it. Yeah. And I've been going through a lot of that lately, having to explain yeah, 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 what yeah. I do for a living. Yeah. Imagine being being this motherfucker. I, I, you know what? Just but say I used it. to be Barney. That's it. Right. But he loves it. Well, because they find him and he's also like a really great like dancer and he's very athletic. And so he kind of gets sent to this Dallas live show as his yeah. like audition. And so the music starts and I just leaped. Once David Joyner hit that stage, oh my goodness. He made Barney the athletic Barney that he is today. He's jumping up in the air doing 360s. He's super energetic. Yeah. The, the costume weighs 60 pounds. Yeah. It's like nothing to him. He's giving the energy right back to the kids. He's, yes. he's perfect to be in the suit of Barney. I'm, I hate to say, I'm sure there's someone else, but it, it, they needed him. He was there. He showed up. He was yeah. high energy. Here we are. And like he, they make him sign a contract that he won't do any of this like tantra sex stuff right. while he's playing Barney. Right. So now we meet Larry Rifkin and his daughter, Leora. Yeah. And basically this guy, Larry, is basically like, <laughs> it was Super Bowl Sunday. My kid was bored. 
we got her a video and it was Barney and it was amazing. Bada bing, bada boom. He puts them on PBS. Yeah, he's like the head of programming for Connecticut Public Television, puts it on and then he's like, hey, PBS, you should do this. Yeah, and like that's the thing that like blows it through the roof. And he says, it was Mr. Rogers gone electric. Yes. And it's like, he, he, I'm Barney. <laughs> That was great. What's it good? I'm sorry, what? I didn't quite hear it the first time. <laughs> it's Marty. Like- Pretty close. Not that far. I have news for you. Not that far off. The look on your face. That was excellent. I loved that. I loved oh that. my God. <laughs> I know. Yeah. I, I know. That's like the go-to I'm like, right kid there. character voice. Oh my God. So now we meet some of the kids who were on, they're not kids anymore, but the, yeah. the people who were on Barney as kids. And I really loved Pia Hamilton. She's Filipino and she, re- and it's true. Like I was even noticing when we were like watching the old clips, like it is really diverse. And like from in Texas, they're filming this. Right. And like she was Filipina. So her character, like she had storylines about her culture. My family came from a country called the Philippines. That's a long, long way from here. And they gave gave me a storyline with my Filipino heritage, which was awesome. You know, I got to sing happy birthday in Tagalog. You got to speak Tagalog on television. She had to sing happy birthday. Yeah. And like when people say representation matters, this is what they mean. Like we're yes. experiencing it with Pia yes. because she got to be herself. She wasn't playing like, you know, she didn't have to hide who she was. And I got to say, like, that's pretty progressive for the times for Texas. Yeah, you know absolutely. what I mean? Yeah. So now, like, we get a little bit more about the family, about Cheryl's family and Patrick, and learning that, like, she created Barney for Patrick. But, like, we start to get this, like, sibling rivalry thing. Right, as if Barney's the brother. He's, like, the big, the older brother, more famous, the one that the parent loves the most or whatever. Now, I just want to say something. Yeah. Did no one see this coming? And also, is Patrick dead? They have to tell us. They have to tell us. Like they are, they are. He's not dead. He's not dead. Neither is Cheryl. And no. they are pitching it to us as though like Cheryl and him died in a horrible bus accident I know. or something. I know. Because they're telling the story as if they were all acting like like Patrick wasn't allowed to outgrow Barney. Uh-huh. And it's like, there's gotta be room for that. And I feel right. like all these like parents and educators who are trying to do good work, like they're gonna like give him space to not care about Barney after he's not two anymore, the right? The whole thing here is what they're trying to say is that like now Barney's in 225 countries. It's the biggest yes, thing in the, the world. Thing. The mom went from being a stay-at-home mom doing this as a hobby to now she's like CEO of a fucking multi-billion dollar company. Right. So of course she's seeing her kid less and like the kid is who she did this for. And they're trying to get into the very complicated dynamics of like his emotions and they're guessing because he's not here to speak for himself but they're trying to get into the complicated emotions of like this thing that my mom did for me that I loved but now it's taking her away from me and and now I don't love it anymore and I don't love it and it's overshadowing me and I'm also not the demographic I'm not too anymore exactly exactly speaking of Barney was quote at odds with the pissed off Gen Xers their words not mine so they're just saying like the actual like popular culture is Nirvana it's Pulp Fiction it's irony and it's sometimes blood soaked. And Barney could not be more different than that. Doesn't bode well for Barney. It was dry, sarcastic, and quote, blood soaked. Yeah. And because Barney was such a cultural phenomenon, what they're saying is that, like, it of course had to then be a war between these disgruntled Gen Xers and Barney. Right. And, and not all Gen Xers. I get it. I'm just of saying. Of course. And, like, that's like, you know, Barney was ubiquitous. Barney was everywhere. You couldn't do any, like, you could, like, I, I'm that age and I didn't have kids and I right. knew everyone knew about Barney. Yeah. And Barney is annoying. I get it. Yeah. And they're just saying, 
saying that it just happened to align with this generation of kids who was primed to take their annoyance like to the next level. Right. And that like everything was sort of about being sarcastic and like dark yes. and cool and Barney wasn't cool. So instead of just saying like, you, Barney, you're not cool. Some people decided to get like violent and weirdly obsessed with hating a show for two year olds. Which we'll get into in a minute. I mean, first we meet Bert Dubrow, who was a former producer of the Jerry Springer show. And like we get into the whole Jerry Springer thing. There is actually an interesting thing where he talks about how Jerry Springer was originally meant to be a, like a family show. Yeah, that lasted for two seconds. Well, we see the very first fight ever on Jerry Springer and Jerry is like super apologetic about it. He's mortally embarrassed. Let me first apologize for the disruption. I don't want to be a part of anything which brings violence into anybody's home. The next day, I looked at the overnight ratings and saw that we went from here to here. And then they say, we looked at the ratings overnight. We came back the next day and all of a sudden it was a fucking free for all. Right. It was cool to learn that evolution. Yeah. And eventually they're going to get like, a, a, the reason the Jerry Springer people are here is because eventually they're going to get the people who hate Barney and the people who love Barney on the Jerry Springer show. To fight show. about Barney. To like come to blows on the Jerry Springer show about Barney. Like, oh my God. I know. We learn a lot about, like, the 90s and the culture is shifting. We get some 10-year-old dressed like a 45-year-old Republican saying, kids today, they like vulgarness. I'm like, how old are you? We get, like, a clip from Reality Bites, which is a movie I love very much. Whenever I see a kid like that, I always imagine tr somebody trying to get Daisy to do that. She would never. No. Daisy would kids never. Kids today. I know. You are a kid. You're 10. He's wearing, like, a top hat. But we get Steve from Blue's Clues. And yes. he's the one who, like, we get, like, these 20-minute montages that go on way too long and then yeah. Steve just like breaks it down and what he says is it's not just about Barney being on a children's television show that makes him bashable I suspect maybe that it's because the children's television like Sesame Street there's something broken about Grover and there's something broken about Bert and there's something broken about absolutely every single one of us but there's nothing broken about Barney and that's why Sesame Street was acceptable to these, like, Gen Xers or whatever, because it was about, it basically, like, the way Steve from Blue's Clues explains it, Sesame Street is like reality bites for kids. Yes. And Barney is like. There's nothing broken about there's Barney. There's nothing broken. And, like, who, that's when we go back to that kid from the beginning. Right. Who, like, runs the website museum or right, whatever. Right, Where I'm like, of course it makes sense that you want to, like, have that safe yeah. zone for half a fucking hour where nothing is wrong, everything is fine, and they're singing the same song over and over again because right. that's comforting to you. Because, and, like, even, remember in My So-Called Life? Yeah. Right? Diane gets drunk and is singing Sunny Days. Yes. Like, that is, there was something about that was, like, cool to like Sesame Street at that age. Like, there were Sesame Street stickers and, you know, but, but not also, with Barney. it was sort of, like, I love how, like, Barney is also represented as, like, big dinosaur mm -hmm. in the way of, like, big tobacco. And, right. Like, <laughs> big, you, you know what I mean? Big wholesome. Big wholesome. Barney is a conglomerate at this point. It is a mega, mega, mega success. And that is exactly, like, it could be any generation. Right. Everybody is going to hate the super successful thing. Thing. Right, and then they it's turn cool on. to hate Starbucks. It's right, you know what I mean. Sure. Do yeah. people care about Starbucks? <laughs> like, I'm just saying in yeah, general, yeah, yeah. you know, like people, like, like of course Barney is so successful that of course, right. people are going to attack. We it. saw this with like pop stars in exactly. the late '90s, early 2000s. You know, like every like when we and were always and always, you know. You know? Yeah. But now the like dislike and annoyance turns to outright hatred, and now homophobia. Barney is coming up at a time that the AIDS epidemic is at its peak. And, of course, there's a lot of very misdirected anger towards the gay community. Of course, this made Barney a huge target. 
So then they were going to hate him even more because he was gay. I mean, that was like a big thing. And then they like, they kind of downplayed in this documentary, but there were all the rumors that whoever was playing Barney must be molesting all the little kids. Like like, that's a real thing. Right. And so Cheryl wasn't going to let the haters get her down. Yeah. She was going to, she didn't really care. She was going to ignore it. Hoping that like, they have to just give up one day. Like who cares? Like she's too busy. Barney's the biggest thing ever. She's having this not great dynamic in her marriage because of Can this we quote, talk about this for a second? nonsense. So we get this like this news interview with Cheryl and her husband. They're like in their kitchen and Cheryl had been the stay-at-home mom. And remember she met her husband because she went to work for his family's corporation. Right. So he was like some big powerful guy who's now like the stay-at-home dad to be with Patrick. Yeah. And Cheryl says jokingly to him like, what are you going to do today, honey? Well, my plans are to support the Barney Enterprise <laughs> any way I can. And when he answers her earnestly, she laughs in his face. What does he say? He's just like, oh, I'm going to stay at home and do whatever I need to do to support like, Barney Industries. Sure, sure, sure. And she laughs in his oh, face. And I was like... That I don't like. It was so uncomfortable because you could tell he was being honest. He was being sincere. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? And she, like, thought it was so ridiculous. And she laughed at him. I was... made very uncomfortable. Maybe she was just trying because the camera was on her. Like maybe she. I was, don't fault I her. Don't I think she's done good work. She reminds me of Julia Sugarbaker. I'm not mad know. at her, but I'm just saying, like, whoa, like yeah. that. It feels like there's that weird dynamic that everyone's uncomfortable talking about, right? You know. So they, yeah, I don't like that either. Yeah. Yikes. So it's getting to be more than just like a punchline on SNL and just like angry kids talking about it in their college dorm rooms. You know what I mean? Yeah, because we meet this dickbag Rob Curran. I can't stand this guy. This fucking guy. He says. My daughter loved Barney so much. I went on a business trip and I came home and I expected her to jump up and greet me at the door. And that didn't happen. You're using your She was basically glued to the TV set, enraptured by Barney, transfixed by Barney. Oh, goody! (laughs) And, uh, I felt a bit hurt. And then I realized I had to fucking destroy Barney. Because he's jealous of Barney. Think about that for a second. Your kid who you love has something that they love. Uh And because for five minutes of a day, that thing is more important to them than you are, you have to now destroy that. Yes. He means it from the bottom of his heart. Like, totally. And he's such an asshole about it. He's like, Barney only appeals to, like, a three-year-old mentality. And I'm like, yes, exactly. That's exactly right. That's exactly, that's not like an insult. That's, no, no, no. It's like, it's designed by that. I just, what on earth would make you want to take that away from your kid? I don't get it. I don't understand. And like, you identify a thing that your kid actually loves and now you have to ruin it. I will, I don't get it. And like, in a little while, she won't anymore. Exactly. let her have this and it's like I don't understand like you know that meme where it's like shh just let people enjoy things exactly can you have your two year old daughter this guy goes out of his way he creates the I hate Barney secret society you know what he could have done use that time to spend time with his daughter exactly instead he's trying to destroy the thing that she probably doesn't even care about anymore Rob he's <laughs> like, fi- he like writes a newsletter called the I hate Barney newsletter he's bragging about getting 7,000 requests for it in a month or whatever he, what, what it is it's like it's like a hate group but also a support group for people People who have like lost their kids to Barney. This is this is fucking outrageous to me. I, I I what what honor? Like if it was a joke or whatever, then no. fine. They all take it so this seriously. This is fucking unhinged, and yes, we're just getting yes. started. He's charging fifty cents to join, like Rob. I, I know. Um, and what I don't understand, like we this goes on for fucking ever. Yeah. But like I don't get why it's so personal to you. Like maybe if Rob is like a, one of those weird parents who's like jealous of everything yes. and needs their kids' attention, like I don't get it. No. But like I see, but like a friend. Fat boy, like, because they say like angry kids in college. Like, what this does guy, this have Travis to do with Fox you? Travis Fox is here to talk about starting the Barney bashing events at the University of Nebraska. I'm born in 1970, so my character was Big Bird. 
I think the reason that we specifically went after Barney was it was the replacement to our Sesame Street. He was encroaching on our childhood. So we decided that we would kind of push back. We are seeing these kids beating Barney dolls, taking axes to Barney dolls. Like, and again, like, I was in college at this time, too. I remember what that time was like, and I understand there's all this talk about irony and uh-huh. blah, blah, blah. And, like, is it ironic? Or, like, this one kid's like, I don't even know what Barney is. I'm just here to punch things. Why are you so angry? And why are you giving people, a pl- like, a place? It feels so dangerous to me now. It's all straight White, white men. Like, all of it. Yeah. Every one of them doing these things are straight white men. You know, all the, the guys who are like being evil at Woodstock. Yes. That's what I'm saying. That like, college age. Like, what are you so fucking mad what about? Was the one about the nail bomb in London. Yeah. Where we realize that these angry college age straight white men are so vulnerable because they're so angry and they don't know why. And then they find a leader who can channel that anger into something like January fucking 6th. Yes. Sorry to get all political. No, you're absolutely but right. But like, we should be scared looking at this. I agree. You know? I agree. And like it hasn't changed. No, it hasn't. And especially because Travis doesn't get it. He's like, well, my favorite was Big Bird. And I'm like, why are you saying Big Bird's name like that? And it's like, like, these angry men are scary to me. They are, because they are are terrifying. I mean, eventually we see a guy like taking Barney dolls with a real fucking gun, a real gun and shooting it in the head. Right. And we get Dr. Stefania. She's here to say like, basically this is all about the fragile male ego because we see Barney as a friendly, dopey-ish, soft dinosaur, right? So this goes against what we think males should be like. So there is a fear that if boys especially are watching that type of programs, it'll make them soft. Barney's like soft and nice and sweet. And he's like... And you don't have to like it. You don't have to like it. You can even not like it. You can even talk about not liking it. Uh, It's when you escalate to like bringing people together in an effort to celebrate your hatred. For violence. Yes. Like for violence. Like you're burning him at some... Like it's just like... You're a loser. I, that's what. Like, that's you're all. Just I mean, I have that herb. word written down four hundred times. Like <laughs> you're just a fucking loser. And when you're like a parent to one of the kids who actually loves this thing, and I got news what for you, Rob. You, you doing? You think your daughter doesn't pay attention to you? I, I'm sure she fucking hates you now. Yeah. This yeah. is the kind of parent you're gonna be to her. I mean, the guy he kind he kind of comes around in the end. I'll say it now. Like he was struggling with alcoholism at the time, and okay. he says he was using like this kind of thing to channel. He just knew he was struggling, and he was using this to like whatever. I get it. Like people are allowed to like make mistakes and then realize they made a mistake and and atone for it or whatever. But it is just a scary triggering thing when you're a person when you're a woman or a person in a marginalized group or you're another straight white man who's been beat up by straight white men Mm -hmm. like these you know. Like it's scary to watch it and it's scary to see that like it hasn't changed. Like in the end they're comparing this shit to Charlottesville. Yes. And like we're still there. You oh know? yeah, we're still we're not. It's, and it's a just very over scary time, Barney. Like, why does this cuddly and like that's the big open question? Why does this big cuddly thing that's just about unconditional love threaten you so much? And also, you have to shoot it with a gun, right? And it's not about you. It's not for you. Yeah. It has nothing to do with you at all. Like, you can turn the television off and put on Nirvana if that's what you want. That's and totally that's fine. The thing, like they, these people, they revel in their lack of introspection. Yeah, they love that they don't look inside. Right, and and like there's yeah, no. They, they brag about that. They love it. They love that it's all just impulsive, manic, angry, yeah. violent behavior. Yeah. I don't understand it. I don't understand it either. Sorry, I went on a diet. No, because it's fucking terrifying it's to watch t- this. It is scary. Like, like we're watching these, like, you know, when they were talking about the AIDS stuff for like just a second, we're watching these like gay men get beat up, know. you know? Like, right. And it's, it, it's, it's just so like... I don't know. I, yeah. I know I'm preaching to the choir. I just, yeah. it scared me to watch it. It is scary. I've said it 500 times. Great. 
but I agree. Yeah. Um, so then, like, this episode ends with just basically, like, does Patrick, the son, feel like he has to compete with Barney? All those complicated and feelings. And they start doing this thing where they're like, do you know what happened to Patrick? Do I don't you know. know what happened I can't to Patrick? Speak to that. Oh, I, I don't actually know. do know. And I'm like, oh my God, just fucking tell us. And what eventually, happened. Lori, the babysitter, is like, I had said that I would um, give some background on Cheryl and Patrick and my babysat. My conscience bothered me for how I felt like I was dishonest to you. And I felt like I needed to fix that. And that's how the episode ends. Yes. So episode two opens with all the Barney urban legends. They're, again, terrifying. Barney hides drugs in his tail. When he wasn't filming, he'd go and, you know, do some lines of coke or something. He hung himself in his suit. Barney was a predator. I absolutely love children. Barney was the Antichrist. When you play the song backwards, it has some kind of crazy meaning to it. A Nazi. The songs had meaning when you played them backwards. The show's really a cult and all the kids are being kidnapped. Now, look, I get it. Something that is that successful is going to have this kind of shit sure. happen around it. I get it. Like, it was a phenomenon that we rarely see. <laughs> there's, there's a minister on hard copy saying that every episode started with a seance where the kids summoned Barney. Right. And I'm like, if that were true, Gen X would be super so down. Into it. If that was actually what was happening. Because I guess it started with like, hey, Barney, let's play. And then he would like magically appear. And it's like, if we're doing some witchy shit, yeah, Gen yeah, yeah. X is into it. But yeah, like Lori, the babysitter is back and she like, she was really cagey in her first interview and now she's here to spill the tea. Something tells me she called Cheryl and Cheryl gave the go ahead. Because it was two months later. Yes. You know? You know, and I was thinking like Cheryl's not here, but she wants like, because this is all leading up to like what happened to Patrick? What happened to Patrick? Yeah. Lori knew him and knew the family. And so I feel like Cheryl was like, all right, if someone's going to speak about this, it can be you. Right. So like, you know, we just learned more about Patrick. Lori says he was one of those like, what if kids? Like, right. She as the babysitter would say, don't do something. And he'd be like, yeah, but what if I do? Right. You know, and whatever. Daisy is like that sometimes too. Kids push boundaries. They test limits. That's what they do. But, you know, everyone sort of got the sense about him that there was something he had to keep an eye on. Right. So then we get another 20 minutes of like young. This is what's also very, very scary is that it wasn't just like college age kids who were getting violent. It was yeah. kids who were like 10, 11, 12, 14, who were writing like threatening emails, who were beating people up, who were trying to like shoot people like in the street because they thought they looked. It was just insane. I mean, and it, it also, like, the Barney becoming a thing coincides with the birth of the internet. Right. And, like, all the people who worked on the show, one of the guys says, like, his email address got leaked online. He's like, I did get some fan mail. And some of them were absolutely hateful. There was one email that asked, are you the Barney that I stabbed and shot outside of New Orleans? And... Then they went on to say, you know, they were going to come and find me and they were going to kill me. Other people were like threatening to murder and dismember and it his was, family. It was like, are you the guy that I stabbed in the street? It's like a 14 year old kid. Yeah. Again, I also remember that time. And there was a lawlessness to the internet. There oh was God. people like writing with wild abandon thinking there, there was no consequences. Has that stopped? And, I know. It has <laughs> definitely not stopped. Yeah. So we meet this guy, Sean Breen, who I also hate, oh my who God. leads into this whole, like, you know, he, he starts by saying, I've never thought of myself as a nice guy. I'm not very nice. I don't act nice. I'm rude. I'm loud. So the internet was perfect for me. And I'm like, Sean, move along. Move along. Like, he's another person who's just bragging about how the internet gave him a place to be a fucking troll. And to be, he uses the word jihad. He wanted to have, like, a jihad to destroy Barney. Yeah. The website is alt.barney.dinosaur.die.die.die. That was the actual name of the website. I mean, it's just 
a place to go on the on the internet and anonymously vent your rage. Get a life, you fucking loser. Can't you play D&D like everybody else? At least I D&D know. is cool and I you need know. some imagination. Can't you play like World of Warcraft or some other nerd shit? Like, you have to do this? I'm like, can I just, loser. I want to make the point when, when you say get a life, you fucking loser. I love it. I want merch that says that. <laughs> I was not popular. I wasn't a cool kid. I'm no. not, we are not coming from an, a place of like, we are awesome and you're a loser. I just you, suggested he go play Dungeons and Dragons. Right. And because all of these years later, he still sits down and goes, I'm not nice. I'm rude. I'm this. He doesn't sit down with any introspection at all to say like, look, I was one of those nightmares. And let me tell you why I was feeling that way. And I'm not like that anymore because I've grown up. But he still lives in it now. I know. And then his phone rings. loser. His phone rings and he's like, oh, it's just a spam call. As though you've ever received a call from an actual human. Like, Like, and that's also rude and unprofessional. Put your phone on silent. Put your phone on silent. You're sitting down. What are you chewing gum next? God, I hate these people. It's a show for two-year-olds. It is a show for two-year-olds. You and have every again, option not to watch it. You're allowed to not like it. You're allowed to talk to your friends about it. Yes. You're allowed just like when you take it to the level of jihad. I know. Jihad. That's really bizarre, insane. Yeah. Well, you are unhinged. You are not well. Fuck all of you. I, I am becoming unhinged. I don't think I've ever been so passionate in an episode. About Barney. I know. <laughs> Can we go past the chicken as fast as possible? Yeah, we Can learned I? about this guy. He's called the famous chicken, and he was do you want to just skip it all together? He's some stupid mascot, and like he tries to have some like fake Barney come and do some like. But you know what? Can I just say? I want to just say that like what happens is the Barney people sue him, right? Because he makes a Barney part of his act, and it's not a real Barney. You can tell the the costumes like just off. It's not actually like licensed Barney stuff. But like I think the Barney people kind of suck here because they sue him for a hundred thousand dollars for every time he's used it. Because what he's doing is he's beating up the Barney. Yes. So the point is we're talking about a character that is, for a lot of kids, their first friend, and he's their best friend. All these children out there are watching, you know, this other character beat up their best friend. How traumatic could that be? Imagine you're a kid who loves Barney and you're watching this game and you think of Barney as your best friend. Right, and again, because they're two. Because right. the show is for two and three-year-old but kids. But unfortunately, the world is complicated. Yes. And like, this actually applies to us. Like, what this man is doing is parody. And like, and that is protected in the Constitution. Right. And so, when they try to sue him and he fires back, like, it's comedy, it's parody, it's all a joke. The chicken he wins. He wins. The chicken and wins I'm the on pace. his side about it. Yeah, because it counts as parody and Cheryl had to pay the legal fees. Yes, as she should have. Yeah. So, like, not Nothing happens with the Jihad website, by the way. Then they're also sending Sean a cease and desist. Sean, the guy who wants to make do the Jihad against mm-hmm. Barney. He's like, well, we didn't cease and they desisted. I was like, how long have you been working on that line? Because it sucks. I know. And it's all like, it's just like, Cheryl, you're better than this. You're, you're, in, you're in 250 countries. Like, right. kn- knock it off. So by 1998, Cheryl's over it. She leaves Barney. She yeah. wants to spend more time with her family. And she seems to leave it without having any paperwork or documentation that she would still be involved or have a say in anything down the road. Yeah. Because when she leaves leaves the show, it changes completely. And well, someone says she was the heart of the show. Yeah, and we'll learn too that like this coincides with like her marriage kind of falling apart. Yeah. Like she was probably doing whatever she was doing. But as soon as she leaves the show, the show, which she still owns, is sold for $270 million. Jesus Christ. Like all the way to the bank, Cheryl. And Stop so, suing people, you're good. I mean, you're fine. Yeah. But like, 
after that happens, the show totally changes and it just, it changes the vibe. Like Cheryl's gone, Bob, the voice of Barney, like people are just leaving. Yeah, and it's weird because she leaves the show in 98. By 2010, the show is just off the air. Right. It gets canceled, which is like another 12 years. I get that it had a good run, but they say that like she was the heart of the show. I mean, Sesame Street's still on the air. Exactly. And you know, Barney as like a single character focus probably was going to run its course at some point anyway. $270 million. Cheryl, you did it. You did it. You did it. Now, David the Creep is crying about Barney. Oh, man. I love you, Barney. I love you, Barney. I love you, Barney. I love you, Barney. It's like, I love you, Barney. (laughs) I was waiting for you to I love you so much. (laughs) Barney, (laughs) just And I'm like, I know. you're a fucking creep. He's legit. Get those crocodile fucking tears coming out of my face. I know. He's legit in his garage sobbing about Barney. I love you, Barney. I know. He's like, <laughs> you're no, a I bad know. actor. I know. In all the senses. God, of the I term. love that you think that he's weird. I thought we were going to have to do like a live and let live thing. Why? On I don't know. earth would you think <laughs> that know. some man yeah. is going to convince me to pay him money to, quote, heal me? Because you're a goddess. And show me where my goddess is. Like, yeah. I know right where my goddess is. Exactly. Don't you worry totally. about it. You stay away from it. Let me protect my goddessness. Oh, my. We learned that, like, Cheryl leaves the show in 98. That's when her marriage falls apart. And we finally get, like, the Patrick story. Yes. This feels like what the documentary has been leading to the whole time. Right. So... His name is Patrick Leach, and yeah. Patrick and Cheryl spend a lot of time in Turks and Caicos. Okay, fancy. I went to Turks and Caicos last Christmas. It wasn't though, fancy, but it was. Oh, okay. But it is gorgeous. I mean, I'm sure there are very fancy parts. Is you it can far go away? To. No, it was like a three-hour flight, not even. It's and nice it and was tropical. It was fucking stunning. How interesting. But like, she loves it there, and she opens a restaurant there. I'm like, if I ever go back, I'm gonna try to find a restaurant. Yeah, and you know? Patrick worked in the restaurant. Yeah, and until he didn't. <laughs> until he didn't. Then he moves back. He moves to Malibu, California, which is still like fancy. Isn't that super oh, expensive, Malibu? Malibu is the fanciest. Is it? Yes. It's like where Cher and Barbara Streisand love. Malibu is more than like Beverly Hills. I mean, it's well, Beverly Hills is like in the city and, and like Malibu's Malibu is like, like on the beach. Okay. Yeah. Anyway. We've now reached the sum total of what I know about Los Angeles. Wonderful. <laughs> So this guy, Charles Middlestat, is a criminal defense investigator. And he's like, I, it's so weird that I'm working with Patrick because my kids loved Barney. Yeah. So Brenda Lee is also here. No relation to rocking around the Christmas tree, Brenda Lee. Because <laughs> you know I looked it up. I was like, Brenda Lee is here. Oh, sh- oh. she's rocking still a prosecutor. No, no. The Christmas tree have a happy holiday. Everyone's in a new old-fashioned way. So, and no shade to this Brenda Lee. She's just no relation. And I feel like most of you, dear listener, if you hear Brenda Lee, you go, what? I know. (laughs) She also, Brenda Lee, has no time for anyone's shit. No, no, no. So, here's what happened with Patrick. Yeah. It's 2013. He's 27 years old. He's living with his fiance and kids in this enormous mansion. It's, like, actually enormous. It's, like, an estate. His mom sold the show for $270 million. I mean, come on. I know. So, the house next door is, quote, more modest. Thanks. (laughs) (laughs) I I assume. (laughs) Um, this yeah. guy, Eric Shanks, lives there with his, quote, elderly mother. Yes. Patrick and Eric do not like each other. No, which sucks. Like, can you just, like, try to get along with your neighbors? And we don't know why. I know. We don't know why know. they hate each other, yeah. but they've had disagreements in the past. Like, this is an ongoing feud that they have had. Yes. Eric, the neighbor, is driving to his house, and he passes Patrick's house. There was a sign there in front of the gate that said, no trespassing, and there was a camera there. So Eric Shanks walked over, took a closer look turned around and walked up the hill to his house. Patrick Leach, apparently he had seen this interaction through his security cameras. 
and then turns around and like walks back because I guess we have this on the camera footage. And has broken no laws or rules. He's like, just looking at the new sign in the neighborhood. Seems pretty harmless. Yeah. Although I don't know, I'm not saying, and I'm not victim blaming anything. I'm just saying like you're fighting with your neighbor and then uh-huh. one day there's like a camera and a no trespassing sign. Someone's mad about something. Right. Like I, I guess Patrick <laughs> thinks that like Eric is trying to be, yeah. as something is going on. Something I don't know go- what has happened. <laughs> right. Something is afoot in Malibu. Because I promise you I've never been like, you know what I'm going to do today? I'm finally going to put up that no trespassing sign. <laughs> but like Eric didn't trespass. He just read the sign. Right. So, but Patrick was watching the security cameras Which, and sees Eric. That right there sounds like questionable behavior. Why yes. are you watching the camera? Like you're just sitting at the camera? Like you put the camera there to see if Eric came to your house exactly. and he did. And, and like, he here did. we are. And, right? and, and say it. What? And what's now we're about, here? No, what's about to happen? All hell's going to break loose. It's going to be chaos down here, Tom. Because... <laughs> Patrick is watching all of this on the security cameras. Yeah. He gets in his car and drives to Eric's house. So that's how big his property is. He can't just right, like walk over. To, he has exactly. to like drive like in the go-kart. So the two start screaming at each other. Patrick's like, you're on my property. Eric's like, oh yeah, well you're on my property right now, oh bud. Oh my God. And I'm like, oh my God. Brenda Lee, not rocking around the Christmas tree, tells us. <laughs> Eric turns to go back to his house. Yeah, to go inside because they're at Eric's property. Because they're leaving. Right. Yeah, it's, and they're fighting. And Eric's like, okay, I'm like, I'm done. Bye. Eric Shanks turned around to go back to his house. And when he looked back, Patrick Leach had a gun pointed at him. Eric Shanks then said, a gun? Really? Are you going to shoot me? And before he could even finish that sentence, he testified that... Patrick Leach started shooting. Eric says, oh my God, are you really going to shoot me? And then Patrick fucking does. He shoot, Before he can even finish the sentence, he yeah. shoots him five times. He shoots him five times? Yes. He's, he's lucky to be alive. This guy lives. I didn't realize he shot him five times. Yeah. But then he also leaves him for dead. He's speeding. Patrick now is speeding down the Pacific Coast Highway. Like, what? Like, the cops pull him over. They find a loaded handgun, a rifle, and he's wearing a bulletproof vest, which he did not put on before going to Eric's house. He was watching the camera in the vest. So, and Brenda's like, he went prepared. So, to me, he was looking for a fight. And she or, says he was paranoid and tightly wound. Like, you know, this is what they, they've been saying about Patrick the whole time was that like he was a precocious kid that needed to be watched. And we don't know about his mental health status. We don't know right. anything. He's not here for the interview, but he does this incredibly damaging thing. Right. So Patrick is arrested for attempted murder. He's facing life in prison. And we just hear again, like there are a lot of bad situations between Patrick and Eric. Patrick is feeling very threatened by Eric. He's like paranoid or worried about yep. him. We have zero information. Yeah. And then further. we get like a little backstory that like Jim his dad died by suicide when he was 14 years old also Patrick had a, like a benign brain tumor that he needed brain surgery for yeah his lawyer says he was addicted to marijuana we're not gonna do that he, okay. he, you're not addicted <laughs> okay. to weed yeah and like we that we don't get a lot more backstory there like Patrick and Cheryl both declined interview requests but here's something interesting what? he gets like 45 years or whatever and then the governor commutes his sentence and he gets out after five yeah and Brenda does say just real quick she goes sounds like he had a hard time growing up. It explains his behavior, but I wouldn't say it justifies his behavior. All of these things explain his behavior, but they do not justify it. I would like someone to explain to me why the governor commuted his sentence. Yeah, I don't know. I would like a little more information on that, Gavin Newsom, with your fucking amazing head of hair. Oh, my God. Yeah. Patrick married his fiance, and they have two kids. Good for them. Great. Now we meet Shannon, who is a former neo-Nazi and a white supremacist, okay. and she's currently an anti-hate activist. So Shannon just pops up out of nowhere. She's talking for two minutes before she introduces herself as a former <laughs> neo-Nazi and white supremacist. I texted you. I'm like, we're, we're in the last 10 minutes. Aren't we winding down? Yeah. Why are 
we meeting a neo-Nazi now? I know. Speaking and speaking of '90s references, I just heard Wayne Campbell. Hello. Like I was like, what? Now I want to go through this like last ten minutes very quickly, as fast as we possibly because her point, and I I really like her. Her point overall is that like let people just like what they like because when you when when you create places for people to channel and funnel their hate, that always explodes. That always results in bad things happening. And when you're building your entire self around the thing that you hate. Yes. She's like, she's like, I'm not saying that the people who hated Barney were like neo-Nazis, but I am saying they have some similarities where right. it becomes your entire life. And, and your entire identity, like, you know? And we see her doing like the Hitler poses and it's really, and she, you know, she's saying that her, her whole life is dedicated to getting people out of those spaces now. Yeah. And she is just saying there is a cost in my opinion, to being someone who identifies by what they hate. You limit your ability to be moved, to engage with the world about what you love. And now the internet is like an echo chamber for all of these people. So like she says, your views can be completely upheld depending on what corner of the internet you're on. Yes. Like that's where like QAnon comes from. And like we're here. Thanks a lot, fucking internet. Like you did great things. But like people just feel seen and heard and it's an echo chamber. But also like just where we are in the world with like people needing like content and clicks and views, you deal with some minor inconvenience and then you have to like get on your car and like talk about it and rant and rave against something. Like get on your car. Get in your car and talk about it. No. I was like, but you know where it's like, I was just at the store yeah. and someone was rude. And it's like, join the fucking club. I know. Like, do people need to be held accountable for things? Absolutely. Some of those people being like some Karen, like screaming at someone being racist, like yes. put on your fucking mask or whatever, yeah. like all of that. Yeah. Yeah. But like, just like you living as a human and then like you have a, this minor inconvenience and then you just need like your followers to like and click and whatever. And it's like, that's all part of it too, everybody. I know. This need to be angry and like get people I on mean, your side for I just will say, existing. Every time I'm at baggage claim and my bags take longer than 15 minutes, I want to make a TikTok about Delta. Fine. <laughs> you know what I mean? I'm guilty of it too. But like, just be nice to each just other. Be nice. Like what you like. Let people like what they like. How and just fucking go on your merry way. We have like a thousand episodes, give or take. Yeah. How many times have we said just like what you like? Just like what How you many like. Times, I don't care if we don't like it affects me. Yeah. Not one iota. I yeah. don't care. I couldn't agree more. And like you should like what you like. Again, like I just don't know. It's just it's a show for two and three year old kids. I want to end on a question. Okay. Do you think Cheryl's restaurant is on open table? <laughs> and no. and what do you think it's called? Cheryl's. <laughs> <laughs> is it called Cheryl's? It's Barney's Cheryl's. place. Turks and Caicos. Barney's place. Oh, fam, we love you so much. Hey, Boston, come see us. We're like two weeks away from our live show. Opening night at the Wilbur. We're doing giveaways. I'm giving away a copy of my book. You're going to get it for everybody else. We're covering the jinx. We're almost done making the show. It is so good and funny. It's going to be crazy. Also, if you're around in Massachusetts, come see me this weekend. I'm doing a benefit for the Harwich Studio Theater slash Cape Cod Theater Company, May 20th in Harwich on Cape Cod. I think there's like 10 tickets left. So many of my friends from high school are going to be there. That's so fun. Everyone is invited to go drinking after. After. Fun. I can't wait. Okay, great. Uh, PatrickFails.com. What are we doing next, girl? We are doing the disappearance of the Millbrook twins. Oh, sh- tell me. Th- I don't know what this is. It's an oxygen thing. It's, you know, terrifying and scary. Sorry, everybody. <laughs> but it's um, <laughs> it's not Barney. Right. <laughs> Does that help is at all? Is it Barfy? 
It's super Barbie. It's super Barbie. You got it. Nailed it. All right, fam. Stay tuned for the trailer for that. Our funny and hilarious. I mean, this is Barney. These can be funny and hilarious. Yeah, I guess so. All right. We'll see about that. Okay. My voice. I don't know what my voice did there. What was that? I don't want to say Talking that. around the Christmas tree. Merry Christmas, everybody. <laughs> nope. Not we even close. You. Not even a little bit. Bye. Bye. This is the first case of missing twins that are still missing today. They should be America's twins, and nobody knows about them. Police didn't do nothing. Anybody that was our color was runaways. I just can't believe no one knows anything. He doesn't want to be exposed for the lousy investigator that he is. I want them to help me find the twins' father hung out with people who committed murders. An apparent serial killer was operating in their neighborhood. What if I told you that I know where you could find them? Tell me something good, Ernest. Tell me something good, bro. There is a fucking stampede of Nazis. What do you call a group of Nazis? Is it a fucking moron of Nazis? Yeah, a bunch of yeah. motherfuckers. It's a motherfucker it's of Nazis. It's really punchable faces. Yeah, it's a, it's a punchable face of Nazis. I want it to be Christmas. You love Christmas. So I love much. it. We're want... not even halfway there. I know. We just started May. I we know. Have so, we have a long hard road ahead of us. Tom, also maybe include a little piece of the clip. You probably are already doing that. You don't need advice from me. Tom is the best. I love Tom. He's so cute. He's also Swifty. One of those kids from some show back in the day has an OnlyFans, which oh, really? I have subscribed to. <laughs> Wait, who? I don't know. Why is I'm it one of the Roundhouse Boys? It's no. It's like it's like one of those kids from like one of those wholesome shows who has oh, an OnlyFans. Like and, Barney? Oh my god. Yeah. Oh my god. Totally. <laughs> I'm Barney.